for uh, the next number of weeks, actually several months, I hope to have sermons, I hope to uh, present sermons, a plan to preach on topics that you have requested. And today and also next Sunday, um, someone had simply said, would you do several sermons from Romans chapter 5? <clears throat> so I'd like to read a couple verses there, beginning of the chapter, Romans 5. And uh, I'm going to help Bob out as uh, Bob Clark. Bob, we're just thankful you're able to be here when you're here. Bob's dealing with some health issues and uh, you have our prayers you have our thoughts as you uh, continue to, to monitor and do what you can do. Trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. Get some more chicken. And he'll take care of you. By the way, thank you to many, many of you who buy chicken, who help out with chicken. We sold every half we had cooked yesterday. And uh, that money will go to our building fund. It was over $1,600. I don't know the exact amount. So we're thankful for that. And I want to just say thank you for the many of you who bring up, I don't know what, cakes or pies or bread or cookies or whatever that uh, are helpful. And I also want to say uh, thank you to the many of you who helped with Bible school. A week ago, we were concluding our Bible school. And I know there's a note from Lorena Davis in the bulletin, but I wanted to add to it. My gratitude for the many of you who helped out with Bible school last week. Okay, let me read a couple of verses in Romans 5. This wasn't a question. Somebody, one of you, just simply said, would you do several sermons on Romans from Romans chapter 5? So I hope to this week and also next week um, not particularly take a topic, but just to read from this chapter and convey some, some of the interpretation and understanding in Romans 5. I'll start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I'll go, I'll go on for a second. But let me just stop there and present what... The idea is, it seems to me, that he pursues further on in this chapter. And that is, um, that's funny. There's an image down here, but you can't see it up there. That's wild. Um, that uh, is of what I'm calling a trajectory. Where you start at the right point, you're going to end up at... A, the, if you, if, if you want to end up at a certain point, and you launch yourself from the right place with the trajectory, you're going to get to where you want to go. Um, that's just how it is in life. It's just a, one of the physical laws that we can apply to the spiritual world. And so he says, by faith, God did something. By faith on our part, God did something. He justified us, and therefore, he's come to visit us with grace, and that fills us with hope in the glory of God. So there's this journey. There's this progress of our Christian life that he takes from the initial faith in the moment of faith in our heart all the way to heaven. And I'm calling that the trajectory. And we're just going to think about sort of the, some of that process. Um, some of you remember a guy who attended here many years uh, named Merle Bowders. Merle was a wonderful guy, uh, 
so gentle and sweet, friendly, honest, but not always. Early in his life, Merle uh, was a hard-hearted person. He told me that he cussed and drank with the best of them, and he uh, did not give his wife an easy life, but he met Christ as his Savior. It completely changed his demeanor. It changed his attitude. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Merle loved to deer hunt, and when he was 90 years old, he wanted to go deer hunting. And so his grandson said, well, I'll go with you, Pap. I'll sit with you, and that's what they did, and they went out. <clears throat> and they're sitting there, Merle and his grandson, and his grandson said, Pap, there's a deer, there's a deer. And Merle, whose eyesight was not the best, said, where? I don't see it. And his grandson said, one o'clock, one o'clock. And Merle looked and looked and looked at one o'clock, and he said, I don't see it. And his grandson said, well, you better see it soon because it's moving around and it's going it's to leave and you're going to not get the chance to get it. And Merle was so frustrated because he kept looking for this deer, but he couldn't see it. And he finally said, well, I'll tell you what. You point the gun at it. And you hold the gun where you point, and I'll shoot it. And so the grandson said, okay, this is a true story. And uh, so the grandson took the gun, carefully lined it up with the scope, and he, wherever he saw this deer, and he carefully lined it up, and then he held it. Just rock steady, held it where he had had it lined up, locked on. And Merle, after the grandson gets his head out of the way, Merle gets himself somehow wrapped around this gun. And he says, are we looking good? And the grandson said, yes. And boom, he fired. And bingo, he got him. Got this buck. Actually, uh, to just put another tidbit on this story, Everybody in the family was impressed enough that they actually contacted Guinness uh, Book of World Records to see if their granddad had gotten, if anybody had ever been on record killing a deer at age 90. They thought maybe this was the oldest. And uh, I don't know, what do you think, Dick? That's a pretty, uh, I know. How old are you? You're 95. Are you thinking you could go deer hunting one more time? Nope. Nope. Okay. My legs don't pay. Okay. Well, what if I held the gun for you? No. You no. <laughs> the Guinness Book people, the Guinness record people said um, it could well be a world record or record, but we don't keep. We have no category like that, and so we have nothing to measure it against. So, there's Merle's not in the Guinness Book of World Records. However, my point, one I always thought was humorous, was I mean, I always thought this story was was just amazing how he did kill the deer, not because he himself was so great, or not because he himself actually fully probably saw what he was shooting at, which is terrible uh, when you think about it. I mean, it's not that safe, but they, were, they both, I guess, knew where they were at and what they were dealing with. The point is that he killed the deer, the gun hit the target, simply because it was pointed at the right place. It didn't matter who looked through the scope. It really didn't matter uh, exactly who was holding or lined it up. What mattered is it was pointed the right place. And once it's pointed the right place, the trajectory of that bullet is going to take it where it's going to take it. It doesn't matter exactly a lot of the details of how it got pointed at that place. Once it's at the correct place, the target will be hit. Because the trajectory 
is that precise, the, project, the trajectory. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking baseball or basketball, when you heave it, or whether you're shooting a cannon or an arrow. It doesn't matter. A trajectory says, based upon where we're launched from, we already know where we're going to end up. That's the, that's the, the reality of it. And so Paul says here in this, in this writing of Romans um, that in the order, and, and I realize this may not always be sequential enough for us to recognize in life. We don't always sit down and say, okay, I'm in the faith stage now, and then God's going to justify me, and once he's justified me, then um, I will have peace. We don't always... We don't always sort it through mathematically like he lays it out here. But he does list these five components. And he says, here's the trajectory of the spiritual process, of the transforming process of God in our life. First thing, you don't get to heaven. First thing. First thing is you have to have faith. In your life. Therefore, having been justified by faith. So, if I could just throw this up here as sort of a, a explanation or reiteration. What he's saying is, if we, can, if we can think of it this way. Faith is like the trigger of your life. The trigger of this process. Faith is like the moment when, when old Merle pulls the trigger of the gun that his grandson is actually holding. He had to do that. There was a moment where if he was going to get the deer, somebody had to pull the trigger, and the, and the process of hunting is if you're going to claim to kill, you can't, be the, you can't say somebody else pulled the trigger. You, even though his grandson was holding for him, in that moment, Merle himself needed to reach down and get a hold enough and say, Okay, I make this commitment, bang. That is equivalent, in a way, to the, to the issue of faith in my heart, in my life. You can hear about God, you can read about God, you can grow up in a home that's a godly home, but if you never pull the trigger, your own self, for your own life, you're not going to, ever, you're not going to heaven. You're, you're not going to be able to make the arc of the trajectory. There has to be... A moment where God justifies you, but that's only going to happen, Paul says, by faith or through faith. So faith is the initiation from a human point of view. I understand we're talking about from a human point of view of this transaction. Then there is the moment of transaction itself where it says, by faith we are justified. That means something dramatically and eternally and actually and truly changed. That means that at some moment, in one moment, Jesus was not my Savior, and at another moment, Jesus was my Savior. That means at one point, I was beheaded for hell, but in something happened, and I am no longer headed for hell, I'm headed for heaven. There was a transaction. That I'll come back to it in a second. The peace... Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I think there's two things going on. I, had, I, I actually changed this word this morning. Um, I came back here and I said, Brandon, 
you have a word here in this slide. It's called, this word is tranquility. Um, that's what I had there at first. The peace I was thinking of as the human emotion. Having been justified, I say, oh, how wonderful to be saved. Um, we're going to sing this song to close our service. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. The sense, of, the sense of assurance, of tranquility, of peace. I have peace with God. But the more I've thought about this throughout this week, this passage, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I think it's actually talking less about human emotion and more about God's cessation of hostilities toward us. Because before we were under God's wrath. But when God justified us, he called a truce. And he said, if you are in Jesus Christ, I extend to you my peace. Peace to all who fall under the banner and the blood of Christ. Peace from God. Peace with God. I'm not sure. You can take it both ways, I'm sure. But I, I, I think perhaps Paul is not emphasizing the human emotion as much as because of the fact that God has Honored, or because of the fact that God has declared us righteous, He then no longer is, is hostile toward us. We are not conclusion. We are not um, the conclusion of our life is not destruction. It is salvation because God has extended His peace. Anyway, what He says here in this verse is, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained, here, here's the next step in this thing, we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. From the moment that God honors Christ, honors your faith by changing your stature, by changing your destination, by changing your heart, in that, from that moment on, you Stand in a state of grace. Unlike when you're apart from Christ. Paul says because of faith on our part and justification on God's part. We have access to this grace in which we stand. It's a whole place. It's a, it's a whole surrounding, an environment of grace. And I know that we would have a wonderful time if we took the next hour and we just shared with each other stories of grace. How God, how we, how, how undeservingly we, have st- we stand in a place of grace with God. And He's spared our lives and He's blessed us and He's taken care of us in, am- in amazing ways. This, this triumphant, this triumphal place that we're in. And then He says, at the, at the, after that phrase... Therefore, because of this process, we have hope in the glory of God. That's talking about heaven. This is talking about after we die someday, the glory of God and the place of God's glory. We, we feel quite sure we're going to be there. We have confidence, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of heaven or glory divine. That Did I do that? Okay, I was wondering, basically, I, then I'm helpless here. Oh, okay, I don't know what that's about. But let me read, um, I'm going to skip a couple verses and come back to them if I can. 
Let me start reading in verse... I'm going to read starting in verse 6. And I'm going to come back to the words, the verses right before. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man. But for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. And this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood... How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him if, he's, now he's going to repeat it, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, same phrase, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That phrase, how much more, how much more, it's like saying, well, if, you're gonna, if you shoot the bow at the right spot, how much more are you quite, can you be sure you're going to hit it? He's, he's reasoning in, in an argument, argument, a logical form. He's reasoning from the cause to the effect. And he's saying, look, if you've got things lined up right, if the grandson's holding the gun in the right place, you don't need to worry about getting the deer. Because if... His death saved you, then his life is going to take you the rest of the way and finish this process. Let me, let me just go into the theology for a second. In verse 9, by his blood we're justified, which you know, I'm sure, is a, a term from the legal world and the language of the day. It was a, this is a forensics term, meaning that you're declared not guilty. And I was thinking to myself, what is it or how is it that we would be considered not guilty? There's three things that seem to me to be possibilities. First of all, you may not be guilty because nobody ever accused you of anything. So Jan, you're sitting here this morning, and if I, said to, if I came to you and said, did you rob the bank? You would say, not guilty. And I'd say, I agree, because I never even heard anybody accuse you of robbing the bank. So we're not worried about it. You're not guilty. Because nobody ever thought you were to start with. But it's one of the ways that a person would be considered innocent or not guilty. A second, it could be that somebody did come and say, I saw Jan at the bank only a day or two before it was robbed. And so then it could be that she might have to go through some kind of a trial. Or I might have to come and ask her and say, uh, just let me know here that you didn't do this. And she'd say, David, I did not rob the bank. Okay, good. I'm glad. Now, in my mind, you are exonerated. You were charged or you were suspected, but you didn't do it. It was proven. You're not guilty. But there's a third way, that, a third reason that someone could be said not guilty. And that is actually, though they were at one time guilty, and they were charged and they were convicted of their crime. And they, did their, they paid their penalty. The, the penalty was assigned and they did their time. And this, in essence, is where Jesus steps in on our behalf in the theology of it. Jesus is the one who came and paid the penalty for us. That's what his death on the cross was. But at some point, and Jesus yelled this out on the cross... Well, you know, right before he died, at some point, that's all paid. If you're assigned 10 years in jail and you do 10 years in jail, there is a point 
after that's all taken care of, where you can stand and say, I am not guilty. I was guilty. I went through all that process, and now the price has been paid, and that whole thing is finished. Legally, I cannot be charged with that thing again. You can't come back to me and say, did you rob that bank? And I say, yes, sir, I did. Well, then we're going to send you to jail. Oh, no, you're not. I already went through that, and I did my jail time, and that is forever finished. That is justification. It is the idea that someone somehow has declared you no, no longer guilty or not, uh, not, not guilty. So, so he, says, he says here, let me back it up once. It was by his blood, the, 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 the recognition of the substitution of the blood of Christ, that we are justified. And then he says in the next verse, we are by his death, we are reconciled. This is not a forensic term, this is a relational term. That we are, we are restored to fellowship or we are restored to friendship with God because of what Jesus did, because of the price that he paid. It has, it has restored, it's taken care of all the nasty stuff. And it's restored the sense of fellowship. It's brought about forgiveness and, and all that kind of thing. If you say to yourself, how could you, get a, how could you have a friendship restored? Or how could you be reconciled if you're at odds with each other? There's two thoughts that come to my mind. I'll mention both of them. First one is, it could be that whatever is causing your disagreement, you get rid of. So, let's say Cindy and I are fighting over a cat. I, I don't want a cat and she wants a cat. Or, I don't like the cat and she likes a cat. Whatever. So, what's that? Excuse you. Well, you might be the solution to this because I might just bring the cat down to your house and drop it off. And, and, and that would be a way of reconciling with Cindy. If we're fighting over something, I'm saying, let's say you have a marriage and you have an issue and you're butting heads. One of the ways of reconciling it is to, to simply say to yourself, you know what, my marriage is more important than this fight. So if this item or this habit or this circumstance is going to continually cause conflict in my marriage, then I'm going to dump it. We're going to get rid of it. We are not going to fight our whole life. We're going to love one another, and therefore, the cause of our conflict, we're going to get rid of, because it's causing us too much uh, temptation not, not to re- rejoice in each other. It's one of the ways you can do it. You can simply get rid of the cause of the disagreement and you're friends again. Another option, and that's because sometimes, what if we're fighting over a kid rather than a cat? Sometimes you just can't get rid of the cause. Uh, well, you, you, there's, there's times where you just, it's not that simple. You just can't get rid of this thing. Maybe it's the car. Maybe it's where you live. And it's just not easy to move because one of them is happy. Sometimes you've got to fight your way along for a while until you can reach a point of somewhat of compromise where you can say to yourself, you know, I, I, may, not, I may not be extremely happy about this circumstance. However, I can live with it and I'm just going to ignore it and I'm just going to overlook it. I am not going to fight about this. You know, I remember, some of you have heard me tell this story before, 
Um, a number of years ago, I, I saw this in an interview with President Carter, with former President Carter, and I, I, it touched me, and I've never forgotten it. He said one of the causes of conflict in their marriage, his wife is Rosalind, was the fact that she was perpetually, eternally, always, and predictably late. Always. And he was a military man. His career in the Navy uh, had shaped him a good bit. And of course, you know, if you're military, you're probably pretty punctual. That is part of the, the dynamic of being in the military. You, you learn, you be on time. And he said she was an embarrassment to me. Often when I was the president, she would embarrass me because she would be late for state events and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so they fought about this issue all the time. He said, I nagged her continually. I tried to do all kinds of things to reward her or to penalize her, and it just never worked, it just like water off a duck's back. She was always late. And uh, after, of course, a good wild time after they were out of office, um, probably up in their 70s maybe in, year, in terms of age, he said uh, it was her birthday, it was my wife's birthday, and I thought, what can I give her for her birthday? She's, she has it all, we've done it all, we've seen it all, I don't even know. And he said, this idea came to me. How about if you, Jimmy, make a decision to ignore this flaw, this fault, just ignore it for the rest of your life. And he wrote her a note and he said, for your birthday, here is my present. I make you here for henceforth a commitment. I will never fuss at you about being late again. He just chose to overlook the cause of their disagreement. I think that's very powerful. And as to which of these God did in my sin, did he remove my sin or did he choose because of Christ to overlook it? I don't really fully know. I don't really fully understand and I certainly don't care. What he says is, I am reconciled to God by his life, or reconciled by his death. I am justified by his blood. I am reconciled by his death. And then he says, in the next, in this same verse, I am saved by his life. And this, of course, the word save has to do with, a, uh, has to do with a more of a, I'm going to just use the term agricultural thing, of, of, of preparing or preserving. You, we, if, we, if we say, hey, could we, you know, we got all these tomatoes. Could we save some of them and have them this winter? Could we can them? Could we... Could we dry them? We want to preserve them for the future when they're still viable and they're still needed. That's the idea of partially, at least, of the word that's often translated as saved in the New Testament. That somehow you're pre prepared for something that's still yet in the future. And I think, well, how wonderful that is. Because what that says to me, if I am saved by the life of Christ, then I know that in the future... When the judgment day comes, I'm okay. I've already been taken care of. It's prepared. It's taken, it's, it's taken care of. I've been saved by the life of Jesus, and I don't, mean, I don't think it means simply his earthly life and his incarnation, but all of it, the resurrection and all of that, this is all part of the trajectory. So here's my point, and I'm going to probably have to stop here because we're just running out of time. Maybe I'll come back next week. But can you understand what he's saying is, if we're saved through his life, how much more 
can we be given eternal life? How much more? The point of, the, the point of this passage in Romans 5 is if God can change you, if, if God can, if, let, me, let me see if there's another slide here. Yeah, if God can change you from a state of wrath into a state of grace, that's being justified. How much more He certainly can change you from a state of grace where we live right now into the next phase, which is the state of glory. If God can accomplish the awful part, or I shouldn't say awful part, the difficult part. Here we go. God has made us from enemies into friends. That's what justification is. That's what reconciliation is. We, you and I, are sinners. And he goes on and he says there in the middle part about how God died for us, how Christ died for us, while we're still sinners. If God can accomplish that, and he can offer me a change of nature and a change of stature and status, if he can do all that so that now I'm reconciled to God, I'm not perfect, I got lots of issues, but I'm, but I'm a child of God. I have within me the nature of God. Whew, I've come a long way. If God can bring me that part, that distance, it's no big deal for Him to take me the rest of the way. I'm all, the hard part is already done. I'm a friend of God. I guess, I don't know if what is the final, I don't know what is a good word for this last comparison. If God can take me from an enemy to a friend, it's an easy thing for him to take me from a friend to a companion. I'm thinking about when we go to heaven, when our life is done. I don't know what the proper word for that is. Uh, partner? I don't know. We will be more intimate in our fellowship and our knowledge and our relationship with God. I've already left the status of God's enemy, and I am God's son, God's friend. And I'm simply saying it would be as if, for example, you hated someone and you had an enmity in, an, an enmity in your life towards someone and through a miraculous change of circumstances, you became friends. That'd be a tremendous change. Suppose then these two friends fell in love and became married or became part of the same family. That's not near as big a deal as the first part. That your heart was changed, your attitude and your outlook was changed. That's amazing. To become from a friend, a more intimate friend, is not nearly as big a deal or hard accomplishment as to come from an enemy into a friendship. The trajectory, Paul is saying, is such that since God is already fired from this point, He can surely hit the target over on this point. I, I, I got I to quit because my time, our time is done. I, I, I could take another half hour and I won't do it too, too, too long. Um, just cut me off. I don't know how to stop it. Do you, can, can, you, can you hear this message? What he's saying, if God has accomplished this, the, this part, how much more will he accomplish the rest of it? If God has saved us, he will certainly save us. If he, has, if he has forgiven us, he will certainly take us to heaven. 
because that's the least difficult of the transaction. And God has started this, he has started this, this process. It tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that what God begins, he will finish. He will bring it to conclusion. So I hope that if you're not a believer or a Christian, or if this is something that you've considered but never really pulled the trigger, that you'll realize that there's, um, there's a way through this. There's a solution to the, to the questions and the dilemma you have. You don't have to understand all the details. But what we can clearly see is that we can leave a state of being at odds with God to being reconciled to God, to being in fellowship with God. That all of this starts, as it says, by faith. This is sort of me pulling the trigger. And that begins the, the, the trajectory so that someday when my life is done and I breathe no more, I will be in a place that I always hoped and, and prayed and dreamed and wanted to be. I don't have no fear of being anywhere else. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of hell. I'm not afraid of being lost because I know I, am, I have this assurance. The scripture has told me here of, of where I'm headed. And if, you, if you've not pulled that trigger or started that process, you need to do that. You need to do that. And you need to do it. You yourself need to do that. You can talk with others. You can pray with others. But it can't be their faith. It's not the trajectory of their life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this assurance. We're going to sing about it. We're going to rejoice in it. Because it is what you have offered and promised to us. It is blessed. If we had our life, but we didn't have assurance of our future and our destination, uh, we wouldn't feel very blessed. We'd feel confused. But we're not confused because you have said to us that we have been justified because of our faith in Christ and His blood and His death. We have been justified and therefore we have peace with God and we have access to this condition of grace. And from there we have hope for something even better and more. We have hope of the glory that we will enter because by faith we left and we began our journey perhaps a long time ago. Reinforce in us, bless us with a vision of what you have done for us and what we can do as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray with thankfulness. Amen.